You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. What is up, everybody? And in honor of Jermaine Cole dropping his latest album, we start off with a J. Cole throwback in honor of my man Meigs, who shouted out the great project that is Friday Night Lights the other day in the TOJ Slack. Uh, I am your moderator, one-fourth of the TOJ draft coverage for Horseman D.A. Osario, joined as always by Joseph Billick, Michael Megan, and James Coons. James, I'm going to start with you because... I feel like I haven't spoken to you in like three weeks. I worried that Northwestern buried you under this 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 curriculum's course load. How are you doing, man? <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. Now I'm pretty good. How about you? I you know I can't I cannot complain. Uh, Zach Wilson chose a very very dripped out number in number two, so we're excited about that. Joe, how are you feeling, man? How's everything going with you? I'm doing well, Dave. Pump for another episode of draft season, man. Yeah, and as you guys know, this is the second of the last four episodes before we break for the summer and get you guys ready for 2022. Uh, Meeks, how are you feeling, man? Doing good, doing good. Yeah, I don't share the same enthusiasm for Zach Wilson choosing number two as you. It's pretty lame to me, but, you know, I guess I feel more like Joe now, so I'm kind of lukewarm on Zach Wilson now. You know what? And and now might be the time for us to load up the Spencer Rattler Express because if he's not going to pick a better number, Meigs is saying, then you know what? We got to cut bait. I will say that there has been a lot of talk about the greatest quarterbacks to wear certain numbers, and he doesn't have a lot of competition for the number two. It's just Matt Ryan. <laughs> it's just Matt Ryan. So again, I think I think we'll be okay. Uh, big thank you to uh, TOJ Live's host Stephen Zantz and and Stephen Russo for launching their TOJ Live series. Uh, uh, show it started last week um we had i want to say over 200 viewers which is absolutely kick-ass for a wednesday night um so you know big shout out to them as you guys know they are on every wednesday this wednesday they are on with jake osman and then next week i join them so that should be good uh, and steven told me to get a really good zoom background it's not going to be what you know the rest of the guys see now but let's jump right into the defensive side of the draft guys I, i'll open it up you know straight up round table style who was your favorite pick on the defensive side of the ball? I know James and I have been driving, you know, and the the Hamsa train, and he picked the kick-ass number, number 45 also. He's going to be and, – and I think, for me, I, I think there's a good chance he is one of the starting linebackers week one. Uh, Joe, I'll start with you. Who's uh, on the defensive side of the ball? Who stood out to you as a pick that you like? Well, Hamsa is my favorite guy on the defensive side of the ball, but I'm not going to talk about him. I know you guys are going to fall on about him enough. So I'm going to talk a little bit about Jamie and Sherwood, the, you know, our fifth round pick. I was way more impressed with Jamie and Sherwood than I thought I would be. Listen, Sherwood is like a general on the field. You'll see him barking orders at his teammates and getting them in position all while putting himself in the proper spot to make a play. He's really like a coach on the field. He's an incredibly intelligent player. His football IQ is through the roof. And he's extremely versatile, right? Auburn played him all over the place. Free safety, strong safety, slot, linebacker, you name it, which fits really well with what Sal is looking for in this positionless defense he's going to run, which is something we've talked a lot about. Now, he didn't test well and was criticized for his athletic ability, but what he doesn't have in athleticism, he makes up for in play speed, right? So what is play speed? 
Play speed is the combination of processing and athletic ability. When you have a smart player like Sherwood who sees the field well and makes quick and correct decisions, he inevitably plays faster and makes more plays than someone who can't process information as rapidly despite them having a faster 40 time. So for those who worry about his athletic profile, I don't think it's as big of a concern as some have made it. Sherwood knows what he's doing and it's pretty clear on the film, you know, from my standpoint. And I will say that I was one of the ones that was worried about his athletic profile. So I'm actually really glad to to hear what you said, Joe, because I think for me, I was like, man, I was like, his athletic profile doesn't jump off, just doesn't jump out at you. It's not something that you're like, wow, that like, this is a guy that, you know, just his, his athleticism is off the charts or, you know, like, like you try, but on film, he's a thumper in leagues. You like, you like Sherwood too. Do you share your, the same assessment that Joe has? Yeah, I do like Sherwood actually. I know a lot of people weren't really thrilled at that pick um, just because like, if you look at like basically the rest of their day three drafts is all athletes and he's like kind of like the one outlier but I do like that they're actually trying to attack this linebacker room because frankly there's a lot of question marks like CJ Mosley like was a great player two years ago he had that great three quarters but like he hasn't played football in what's going to be almost 24 months really and Jamin Davis sorry Gerard Davis is a first round pick and like he had talent but who knows what you're getting from him so I like Sherwood. I think that's just like a competitive, like Douglas Salah guy who's going to really bring the culture in that regard. So I like that pick. The guy I really want to talk about was MC2, the other Michael Carter, who a lot of people I think are starting to come around on as the potential to be fighting for that slot corner position. I think a lot of people still want to bring Brian Poole back and then have Adrian Michael Carter fight up for that backup slot and hopefully be something for the future. But I really like everything you read about Michael Carter is really interesting about how smart of a player he is. He's a good athlete. And for me, slot corner is becoming a really important position. Like base, like base personnel is when you have your nickel on the field these days. And I don't think it's a position you really need to use like a premium asset on. Like a lot of the best slot corners are UDFAs or day three picks. Like Chris Harris Jr., which who was the best one of the entire 2010s was UDFA. Brian Poole himself was UDFA. So I really like them going with Michael Carter and having Gidry from last year and have those two ballot out and just kind of pick two athletes and you can make them football players. I think something something that really helps the cornerback room is the defensive line, right? Like that's, that's the biggest thing. And the Jets took an athlete in round seven in Jonathan Marshall, right? A D tackle with, again, almost the opposite athletic profile of Jamie and Sherwood. His athletic profile is off the charts. He's a 325 pound man that runs a 4.840. The Jets defensive line is really, really stout and really, really deep. Right. And to me, this point, when you look at the linebacking core, it's C.J. Mosley, who I think, I, and I'll be frank, I feel very good about C.J. Mosley. I'm not ultimately very worried about C.J. Mosley. But it's C.J. Mosley and a lot of question marks, right? It's Because it, you, you don't know what you're going to get from Bryce Huff. You don't know what you're going to get from Jabari Zuniga. And I love the fact, and I said this in the draft season Slack, I love the focus on this positionless football that we've been talking about, you know, for the last four or five months, right? It's you get your, you get your 11 best players on the field, right? Whether that's four defensive linemen, one actual linebacker, 70 Bs where two can play downhill or whatever, then I think, I think it works. And I think Salah does a really good job of that. Joe, you talked about this. And so when they took Marshall, I was, I think that's why I wasn't overly surprised. You said, do not be surprised if they add somebody on on the defensive line, even though they signed Sheldon Rankins, Vinnie Curry, they have Q, they signed Lawson because you said that even in even behind Rankins they didn't have much behind behind them at, at D tackle what did you think of 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 Marshall at D tackle just with that athleticism and how he fits into what we've seen from Robert Sala so far obviously he tested through the roof his athletic profile is crazy so if they can tap into that well they're going to have a beast on their hands really but obviously 
there's a lot of work to do. His hand usage needs improvement, but I think that with the right coaching, he could be a special player. You know, he just needs to be put in the right spot with the right coaching. And I think that this is pretty much the team to do it. And I could see him being part of a rotation because in college, he played mostly nose tackle from what I, I know. And he was kind of doing a lot of two gapping. He needs to be more in a role where he's doing a lot of one gapping, where he's going in after the quarterback. I know Sal is going to put him in a position to exi- do exactly that. And he just needs to refine his technique. And listen, he could end up being special. The Jets have done a good job of finding defensive tackles late. You know, Foley, even undrafted free agent, Snacks Harrison. So I, I'm a little bit more optimistic about this pick than I would be had it not been for maybe Salah being in the coaching department and somebody who knows how to really take a player like that and turn him into what I think could potentially be a really good player or at the very least rotational player. Yeah, and I think when you have a, uh, you're starting, one of your starting D tackles is going to be Sheldon Rankins who's battled some injuries. You want to get a guy behind him that you can that you can develop. That way, if, if he's hurt, you have a guy that can step in. But also, if you develop him enough, in two years when Sheldon Rankins' contract is up, there's your replacement for Sheldon Rankins right there. And I think too often the Jets have ignored that middle class of the roster, right? They they, they invest in these aging guys, right? You, you go after Brandon Marshall, go after Alan Fanica, who again had a good run, a, a good run here. We was a, a top 10 offensive lineman, but they never prepared for life after Fanica. They never prepared for life after Woody. They never prepared for life after Brandon Moore. They never prepared for life after Nick Mangold. The Jets, this in this draft in particular, and Meeks, you had touched on this a couple of weeks ago in, in the in the draft season slack you said dart throws for athletes at db you'll take that any day of the week as opposed to taking a dart throw at like a you know like another position and could you speak a little bit to that because the jets took three dart throws at db right not counting obviously hamso who's a safety and jamie sherwood who's a safety transition and linebacker they added three cornerbacks right and everybody said they didn't have any but they took dart throws at three what did you feel about the three uh, about these three well, yeah, this is what I like about Joe Douglas way more than I ever liked about Mike McCagnon is Mike McCagnon's dart throws were on 24-year-old non-athletes. And there was just like, their best case scenario was they were just like this okay, like rotation player. And like, if that's really what their ceiling is, like, I don't understand why they're taking them. And that's what like intrigues me about the corners they took and also a couple of other players. It's just because on day three of the draft, like if you find like the best GMs in football, don't find one starter like on day three of the draft every year. So for me, it's all about trying to stack as many picks as possible and just try to find guys that you've been in the room with. You trust that they will buy into what you want to do and you trust your coaching staff to make them into a player. Like if one of, if one of these corners hits, like this was a great day three of the draft. And then you also have what the potential that Hamza has to be a starter. Like there's a lot of potential here. And like we're like the Joe Douglas Robert Tower relationship is new and they're going to get better at this as they really figure out what each other wants. I think this was a good first step, and it's intriguing that Robert Sal views football similar to I do, which makes me feel good. <laughs> exactly, and I think that's the key, right? If if Joe Douglas just keeps doing what we tell him to do, I think we'll praise everything that he does. James, I do want to go to you, though, because you had a really interesting tweet midway through day three, uh, and that got a lot of traction on Jets' Twitter. It made them really upset, <laughs> right? Uh, where you highlighted, you said, listen, you're not going to sell me on this being this great strategy where instead of taking actually good players, you just take these projects. I want you to, I want you to elaborate a little bit more on that because I, I definitely, I, I, I sided with you because I definitely thought I was like, I would have preferred, you know, maybe you take a dart throw on the offensive line. I would have liked to see another offensive lineman added, maybe on the interior or something like that. Maybe a dart throw at tight end. Right. But instead they opted for three corners and I'd be surprised if all three make the roster at some point, like just because the law of average states you're not going to keep all three of them you know I think I think Meeks's point Michael Carter too probably has the best chance um and I didn't think that two weeks ago I was like oh there's no way that's going to work but I want you to talk about just the 
the how you felt the strategy was to take these three dart throws in day three? Well, I mean, I think it was a pretty poor strategy, to be honest. Um, I just think there were so many good players who were available on various parts of day three who did, who could have helped the Jets. And instead, the Jets chose to take three players who were generally like undrafted free agents. I literally am looking at a list of 21 players in front of me who are desirable and who could have helped the Jets. Among those notable names would be Jamar Jefferson, safety from Indiana, James Wiggins, safety from Cincinnati, Israel Mukwamu, corner from South Carolina. Um, you know, the list goes, Keith Taylor from Washington. The list goes on. There are a lot of players who are a lot more talented and skilled than the ones that the Jets took on day three who could have made an instant impact and been competitive immediately. So, you know, it's kind of frustrating see people, seeing people say, oh, you know, day three was great. When in reality, like, I think pretty much all the picks besides Michael Carter and Hamza Nasruddin are pretty easy to criticize. The one thing I will add about Michael Carter the second is I was recently talking with this kid, uh, Charlie Gelman, who used to work for the Duke football team as a student coach with the DBs. And he was talking about how Michael Carter is such a stud, how he was extremely physically gifted, has really fast feet, and is extremely intelligent insofar as he can play every single position in the secondary, but only goes to meetings for one of the position groups. Um, so, you know, I do think that he can challenge Javelin Gidry to play slot corner, but overall, I mean, there was a lot of meat left on the bone here for the Jets day three picks. Meigs, you have a rebuttal to that? Yeah, I mean, my only rebuttal is it's day three of the draft. I don't think you can say there's a lot of good players left because I don't really think you consistently find a lot of good players on day three. So, like, could all these guys suck? Probably, honestly. Like, do I think – do I, am I confident any single one of these players is going to be a long-term starter on the Jets? Not really. But, like, if one of them is, do I consider their strategy a success? Yeah, and I just think they, yeah, they traded back. They, made it, they gave themselves more ammo at the thing in that regard. So, like, I don't think the core of a roster is built on day three of the draft. And if any of these guys hits, that's a bonus. Then, like I said, if we're going to complain about Joe Douglas's day three, days one and two normally go pretty well, and that's what I care about the most. Now that we have two years of draft, uh, Joe Douglas drafts, I, I want us to try to – kind of look at it and see if we can make any judgments on what Joe Douglas seems to value, right? Because I think through two drafts, I think the one thing that I that I can see that he absolutely values is team captains, right? <laughs> so leaders, right, in that regard. I think I think that I can I can put that on a wall and say Joe Douglas will lean towards drafting captains, right? I think I think that that's that's a fair assessment. But I wanted to ask you guys and Joe, I'll start with you because you've been a big proponent in the draft season chat of like we don't know yet. We don't know exactly what they're going to do. And we have, we still have a really important draft in 2022, right? 2022 is really the draft. Like this year, a lot of Jet fans are thinking. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. 
Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Like somebody asked me, oh, what do you think, what do you think their record's going to be when the schedule dropped? And I said 17 and 0, because obviously we're going to win every game and then we're going to be in, we're going to be, <laughs> we're going to be in California celebrating the Super Bowl. But realistically, like this year is a stepping stone year. Like the, like what you would want is the Jets to not be mathematically eliminated by Halloween, play good ball. You see progression from Zach Wilson, right? Even if, you know, you have some bad games, if you want to see him get better. Right. Next year is really the year because you still have two first round picks. You have two second round picks and the Panthers are going to suck. So it's going to be a high two. Right. Uh, So you're going to have probably, you know, five picks in the top 100 to build around this roster, maybe add a veteran, maybe trade up to go get a guy. Um, What can you make of Joe Douglas's two drafts that make you say, you know what? I think this is something that he that this, this is his philosophy. This is something that he really values. Joe, I'll start with you. Well, I was talking a lot early on in the podcast about how Joe Douglas is going to do some things maybe different than what people expect. I said very early on that I would not be surprised if he went heavy offense because he made a promise to Sam Darnold's mom and he said, I'm going to protect your son. And a lot of people were like thinking like, oh, Joe, what are you talking about? You know, who cares? You know what he said to Sam Darnold's mom? I'm like, no, Joe Douglas is a good guy. He cares about that stuff. So going into this draft, I think he was really like, I'm not going to let the same thing happen to Zach Wilson. And I was banging the door being like offense, offense, offense. I remember even one episode when I said, this is the way, referencing one of your, your favorite shows, DA. And in the end, this is exactly what he ended up doing. And I kind of kind of start to steer away from that. I almost like let people influence my mindset. And I'm a little upset about that, to be honest with you, because I was very much in on, let's set this offense up. Let's worry about the defense later. We have a coach who knows how to build a defense. You saw what he did last year. And that defense really was, it was a top 10 defense, even with all the injuries. So yeah, I, I think Joe Douglas is the kind of guy who's going to do what needs to be done. Like even in this particular draft, a lot of us here, well, except for me, were saying they were going to trade down. And I said, well, we saw what he did in 2019 with the Eagles when they moved up four spots to get Andre Dillard. And that was when they already had a stacked offensive line. So I said, well, what is he going to do now when they have two gaping holes? Well, he took it upon himself. He put fate in his own hands and he went up and got a guy who he really wanted. So I think that's who Joe Douglas is. He's not afraid to pull the trigger on a player he wants. He's not afraid to go a little bit against the grain and do things that maybe is a little bit unconventional. And then he's also a guy who still values some of those premium positions and doing what makes sense, like accumulating picks and then trading down later in the draft. So I think we're getting a better sense of who he is and who he is, I think, is slowly becoming one of the stud GMs in the league. Yeah. And I love, I love what you mentioned about the Diller trade, because that was one that you kept coming back to that you were like, listen, like they, and you're right. They, they, they had Kelsey, right. They, they had Lane Johnson. <laughs> they, 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 st- they, you know, they had Jason Peters still, you know, much younger than he was now. Like that line was stacked and he was like, no, we're going to go up and go get a guy. He also does come from the Ozzie Newsom, you know, school of GMing where the Ravens didn't care, you know, about trading up or trading back. They, 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 they definitely, saw avenues to improve their team by moving around the board with the jets. I will say for me, before I go to Meigs and then I'll go to James, I think for me, the thing that does stand out to me is it is athletes, right? Because AVT is, he's an athletic guard, right? Like he's not, he's not, he's not, he's not this, he's not just a, he's not a Deontay Brown, right? Who's just like a monster of a man, right? Like AVT is an athlete. Denzel Mims for, for a receiver, his size is an athlete, Zuniga, an athlete. And I think Meigs, this ties into your point. So I'll go to you after this. It's taking, it's swinging for the fences with guys that have these high ceilings because of how athletic they are, how physically gifted they are. Whereas Mike McCagnan, really played it safe, right? Like Jamal Adams was a great safety at LSU, but Jamal Adams also played an undervalued position and Jamal Adams was safe. You knew that at the bare minimum, Jamal Adams was going to reach right here. 
this was going to be his floor, right? And there wasn't much variance between who he was at LSU and who he'd be in the NFL. Meigs, what, what about you? What's something that stood out to you now, two years of Joe Douglas drafts? I mean, for me, like Joe Douglas is actually really, really self-aware. And that's not something you can say about a lot of GMs, I really think, that fail, is he saw what didn't work, and he's trying his best not to repeat those mistakes. And I think that's really interesting because I think everyone was trying to pick like what was like in Philadelphia, what he would take Baltimore, what he would take. And like, for like with Joe's point about the Dillard trade, like they say Joe Douglas runs the draft room, but Harry Roseman is the one who does has final say. So you could obviously that could have been Joe could have been pound the table for Andre Dillard. But at the end of the day, that's Harry Roseman's call in Baltimore. I think that we haven't really seen is how much they use comp picks and the Jets roster isn't good enough to even think about comp picks at this moment. So I don't know if that's something we'll see down the line, but I think that's still a projection. But for me, Joe Douglas knows that he's going to live and die by the Zach Wilson pick, and he's going to do everything he can to make sure Zach Wilson succeeded. A GM I really like, we've always talked about, is Brandon Bean. And before Josh Allen blew up this year, uh, and if Josh Allen flamed out in the way he was trending, I wouldn't say it was really trending after two years. I would have given Bean another shot to take another quarterback because I thought he did such a good job with the rest of the roster. And I think Joe Douglas is trying to position himself to be in a similar position. You know, and actually, I think that's a, the, the point about Josh Allen is a really good one because if folks, I think folks have let last year kind of cloud what he was the first two years, but you got to remember like Josh Allen didn't throw for, he, he had 20 touchdowns year two and 13 picks, right? Like those aren't necessarily MVP worthy numbers, right? And, but what the Bills have done, which again, all credit to them, they have built this team from the ground up. They have the most uh, they have the most transactions in the last three years. And if you remember, that was very similar to what John Schneider did in Seattle when Pete Carroll got there. They had the most roster turnover because they were getting rid of guys that didn't really fit the culture that they were building, the schemes that they were running. And I it would not surprise me if you see Joe Douglas and Robert Sala do the same thing because you're 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 we, you're you're trimming the fat, so to speak, right? You're getting rid of the guys that just don't fit. James, hit us with a hot take. Two years in, two drafts, one free agency, because the one he he pretty much said Adam Gates the to fail and so that, that's what he did but two drafts and then one free agency what's something that you can take away from you know from those two drafts and the one free agency well I mean I think Meigs had a really good point in that Douglas is pretty self-aware in terms of what the weaknesses of the roster are and I think he generally with early picks uses a common sense approach to filling those needs um I would say like if you want a hot take, I think my hot take is that Andrew Barry is the best GM to come out of the Eagles over the last few years. I think that's pretty indisputable. Um, I mean, look at their day three draft picks. He's extremely common sense in how he uses his early picks. Last year, um, it was Jedrick Wills and Grant Delpit. This year, it was Greg Newsom and Jeremiah Wusu koromoa um, I, I mean, I think like overall, though, that's not a reason to be um, down on Douglas. I think it's just more, if anything, a testament to Barry kind of being an outlier and how good he is at such a you know early point in his career. I think with Douglas, you just hope that next year's draft, he spends those picks on positions of need, which all accounts say that he will. Um, I think the Jets will be in very good shape then. And that's a perfect pivot to 2022. And granted, we have we have had a few conversations amongst ourselves just about what are we seeing in 2022, right? Because the Jets are armed with those two first round picks and you're not going to need a quarterback, right? Unless, you know, knock on wood, Zach Wilson has suffers a career ending injury. I, there is, there is, 
less than a 10% chance that the Jets are drafting a quarterback next year. So I want to get your early thoughts, guys, before we before before we wrap. Uh, I am very much a Derek Stingley Jr. guy. Uh, Meigs, you love King K from the Pacific Northwest. Uh, but it's a really good draft for positions that the Jets are going to need. So Meigs, I will start with you. If the Jets are picking, and I saw, I, I read one 2022 mock draft that had the Jets picking fifth in the league with a six and 11 record picking fifth, which at first I was like, that sounds a little crazy. But then I thought about it and I was like, you know what? It's not that crazy. So if you are picking five, right? Sell the Jets fans that are listening, because I think that, I think we're going to break this, this fan base into two camps as we move forward towards 2022. Sell the Jet fans on taking the edge rusher, extraordinaire pass rusher, who who our own Connor Rogers said is in the Miles Garrett and Chase Young class. I know you and I don't think he's there. We think he's a rung below. But sell the Jet fans on that so they can start wrapping their heads around the possibility that we may take an edge at, at in the top five. I mean, Kevion Thibodeau, like, he only played a couple games this year because the Pac-12 couldn't get their act together. But him as a freshman, it's he's so polished, he's so athletic, he's so long, he's six five. He has he still has a I think he has a full move set when it comes to his pass rush moves. He has the production. He literally has everything. And I think he's gonna be a freaky, freaky athlete. Or like Oregon, like that's a real program. Like when you start as a freshman at Oregon, like that means something. That like that place loses a lot of NFL talent. And I don't I I think he's so good. I don't think he's gonna be on the board at five. I think he's that good. Like, if a team isn't sold on Spencer Rattler, I wouldn't be shocked if he's the first non-quarterback to go one since Miles Garrett. For me, I think he's going to be, like, where the Boses were for me. And then Chase Young and Miles Garrett are a ring above. But he's got all the talent in the world. And if he's the best edge I've seen after another dominant season, I will not be surprised. One thing I will say about next year's draft class is Derek Stingley is probably the best corner I've seen since Jalen Ramsey. There are a lot of really good corners in next year's class. And if you don't get Derek Stingley, that doesn't mean that you won't get a premium, premium talent. So it's shaping up well for the Jets. If they need a right tackle or if they need a corner, this is the draft for them. Yeah, and I will say, I think I think what's interesting is that that you made me. And I, and I said that in draft season. I said that usually when I when if you have two first-round picks and you're talking about coupling guys together, right? I, if I know that the gap between the first edge and the second edge is bigger than the gap between the first corner and the second corner, I'm taking the top edge because I can get, I can get, I can still get an elite corner later. Right. Joe, I, I'll go to you. I'm going to go to you before I go to James, because you actually had this point in the, we were, when we were talking about like, which way would you go? And you, and correct me if I'm wrong, you argued that it's, it's, it's harder to find the top corners, right? Because just because of how difficult it is to play corner in the NFL now, and you would opt for the corner because you feel like if you get a second tier pass rusher, you can develop them into what maybe a Carl Lawson is now. I want you to touch on that a little bit. It's tough to answer this question because I value both positions so highly, but I am starting to lean towards the corner because I feel like you could find lower tier edge guys to produce similarly to some of the upper tier guys. You look at even this past year, Aquara had double digit sacks. Trey Hendrickson had double digit sacks. Even Kerry Hyder with Robert Salat was like top 15 in total pressures and had eight and a half sacks himself. But you'll rarely see lower tier cornerbacks performing like the upper tier guys. I also think it's just a lot harder to find a shutdown corner, a true bona fide shutdown corner in the draft. I think people use shutdown 
a little too loosely. I look at shutdown like a guy like Jalen Ramsey. And what was the last time a Jalen Ramsey came, you know, in the draft? What was the last time I actually saw something like that? Well, it might be this upcoming draft and Derek Stingley. So if he's there, I feel like, man, it would be so hard to pass up on that guy because yes, Kayvon is a special talent, but you've seen him coming up this year. We saw Chase Young the year before. We saw Nick Bosa. We saw Joey Bosa. We saw Miles Garrett. As rare of a talent these guys are, we're seeing them in the draft. We're not really seeing Derek Stingley's. We're not really seeing Jalen Ramsey's. So for me, it's kind of the law of supply and demand, right? So there's just a lot less of these particular guys. With all these good wide receivers coming into the league, man, you're going to need as many corners as you can get. So listen, at the end, it would be you know, a difficult choice. And I would have to look at my team. would have to look at the philosophy of my defense as well, because obviously it's a little bit different. Somebody like Salah might covet defensive line over say corners. You know, he likes to build from the inside out. Somebody like Bill Belichick might look at that corner. He likes to build really kind of from the outside in. He treats Ed rushers in a lot of respects, like running backs, like rinse and repeat. Trey Flowers, double digit sacks, see ya. Even Chandler Jones, who I'm sure he regrets letting go. He was like, I'll find your replacement. This was actually the first year we actually spent money on an edge guy with Judon. Every time before that, he only spent money on guys like what? Like Darrell Rebus, right? Stefan Gilmore. So again, it's a difficult choice because I would love to have them both. Can we make that happen, DA? Listen, if Joe Douglas found a way to, dra- <laughs> to draft both Derek Stingley and Kavion, I, I would build the statue for him myself. I'll take my daughter to Florham Park and we'll build it with some Legos for him because I just, I, I don't know how you could do that. James, I want to go to you for the last point because you, you know, you're, you and I, I and it's, and I will say this for James. James said, listen, I'm watching Stingley now. I don't think there's any way I would pass up on him. Talk about what you've seen as you've started to watch him and why you why he's the guy that you would take uh, with the Jets' first-round pick next year. Well, yeah, so I think Stingley's really special. But I want to qualify or preface this statement just by saying that if the Jets are picking top five, then something will have gone extremely wrong. Either Zach Wilson will have been injured – for a large part of the schedule, or there will have been like massive failures at the play calling level on both on either side of the ball. Um, That said, like, you know, in this scenario, if we were picking and we could get Stingley, I would say he is extremely good and he dominated at a really, really young age. I think if you're looking at flaws, the biggest flaw with Stingley is that he probably could have had 20 interceptions in his freshman season if he caught the ball when it was thrown to him. And like, that is actually, I would say like the biggest criticism of him, which is also the biggest like compliment of his ability. The fact that he has the mirroring skills to be in that position to make a play on the ball so much. I mean, it just speaks to his natural ability. Um, so he's somebody who I think you don't see every year. Like Joe said, you know, you see top edge rushers on a year to year basis, but you rarely see equivalently talented corners on a year-to-year basis. So I think if Stingley's available and you can pick him, you run in the pick and you say, we're going to have one of the best corners in the NFL for the next 10 to 15 years. And he'll get ample opportunities to learn how to catch interceptions because Carl Lawson and Q are going to be barreling down, you know, quarterbacks, you know, left and right guys. Thank you guys for tuning in. Um, thank you guys so much for rocking with us the entire season. Like I said, we have two more episodes to go in this season, then we will break. Um, and then you guys can capture, capture all of our writing and all of our content on the new TOJ draft season site, um, where we'll, you know, we'll include 
thoughts on all of the 2022 prospects because I think, you know, I, I can't reiterate this enough because I think James is right. If we're picking top five, I do think something went wrong. <laughs> I do think something went horribly wrong. But next year's class is a really good class for the Jets because it's they have a lot of talent at positions that they need. There's a, it's a, there's a really good right tackle. There's really good right tackles in this draft. There's really good interior offensive linemen in this class. Um, you have, you know, again, really good corners, really good edge guys. So there's going to be really good linebackers. There's like three linebackers that I think are going to go in the top 15, top 20. Um, so I think you have a shot here to really kick really kick this rebuild into into ne- into the next gear so that way then next year you're competing for a potentially a division title potentially a playoff spot thank you guys for tuning in and we will be back next week